track at the wall. We are tied. Look at this. He's landed for I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Oh, drop with a big leg. Over for the cover. He got it. Unbelievable. He got it! The starter! Mike Tyson in! Austin is the champion! Stone Cold! Stone Cold! Stone Cold! Now the 2-2. Two -two. Well hit down the left field line. Way back and... Touch the ball, Drew! You'll never hit a bigger home run in your life! What's up, Connection Chin Podcast Network listeners? Welcome back to WWE War, Wrestling Above Replacement. I am JT, and joining me, as always, in this effort is my buddy Marcus. Marcus, how are you? JT, I'm doing great. Uh, I finally feel better. Hopefully, I sound a little bit better. Um, you know, <laughs> six-month illness that was <laughs> crippling you. Yeah, it uh, finally kicked out at a uh, 2.9. So uh, happy to be back, fully awake and alert, uh, running through this exercise with you. Very good. I'm excited to, of course, continue our trek through 2004-2005, uh, the WWE pay-per-view year. If you're new to us here, what we're doing is we're watching every, basically every pay-per-view ever. Uh, we're doing it by season. So a season for us is the starts with the first pay-per-view after WrestleMania in every, any given year and culminates with WrestleMania the following calendar year. So, for example, for this season, 0405, we're starting with Backlash 04, if we did our last, uh, one of our last episodes, and wrapping with WrestleMania 21. So that's a full season. We go through each card, we grade the matches, we do a bunch of categories. Uh, if something is deemed to be above middle ground replacement level, so I think replacement levels being something average, if you and I feel that it was a benefit to the card, above average, it gets a point. If we feel like it took away from the card and was below average, it gets a negative point. We net all of that out at the end, and we get a total cumulative score, and then we're going to rank every pay-per-view ever by those total scores. Uh, so like I said, we're going to rank, uh, we're going to rate all the matches, but Marcus, you want to read quickly through the categories that we do the plus-minus for? Absolutely. Our first category is build-up to the event, followed by commentary of the event, the atmosphere of the event, Notable moments and importance, match grades, the card structure, rewatchability, all-time matches, 
and we get our total from that. And an all-time match for us in the plus column would be anything that gets four and a quarter or above. And in the minus column, that would be anything that gets a .75 and below. All right. Very good. All right. So our first show tonight is, like I said, continuing through 2004-05, is Bad Blood 2004. Sadly, not 03. We're not headstrong here tonight. (laughs) Maybe someday we'll get there. Not tonight, though. Uh, This takes place at the Nationwide Arena from Columbus, Ohio, June 13th, 2004. 9,000 in attendance. And, of course, this is a Raw brand pay-per-view, so we continue that trend. And we're going to go ahead and get into the card. We have a dark match of Batista defeating Maven. Ooh. So there you go. Batista. <laughs> Just under four minutes. Future uh, Reverend Maven or uh, Justice of the Peace, whatever he was working as at GCW. The past uh, still, still in the zeitgeist. Uh, all right. Our opening match sees Chris Benoit and Edge challenge La Resistance for the tag team titles. Benoit and Edge would win, but by disqualification, after 10 minutes, uh, yeah, I, I thought this was fine. The hook to the show is that Benoit's wrestling twice. It felt like a little bit of a throwback to the old Bret Hart days. Uh, a lot of suplexes, a lot of strikes. Uh, they do a spot where Edge goes for a spear. Grandier moves, and Edge almost hits Benoit, but he stops. Benoit hits the crossface on Grandier. Edge spears Conway, but then Kane comes out and kicks Benoit for the DQ. Of course, Kane will be the challenger later to Benoit's world title. I thought it was fine. Uh, I enjoyed it enough. It was more story than match. And the story here is the slow burn of Edge's eventual heel turn. And it kind of starts with this, where he feels that Benoit Benoit didn't really care about winning the tag titles with him. He was really more focused on his world title. So he kind of gets a little aggravated. He worked most of the match. Uh, and again, the Kane stuff is just to set up the match later. So is what it is. I went two and three quarters. Like, it's a fine opener. You start with some star power. I always liked the idea of Benoit going out there twice. He's obviously not main eventing. Uh, that's its own issue we'll get to. But um, if nothing else, again, it, it evokes memories of like Brett in his you know, halcyon days of like being the guy who carried the shows during his either World Title Reign right afterward where he'd wrestle maybe twice a night or something like that. We'd get it again later with uh, Daniel Bryan in later years as, as well. We just get that workhorse who carries the show. Uh, yeah, and definite shades uh, of the Hitman. Speaking of shades, um, you know, working twice at WrestleMania 10. I think this is a great way to try to get Benoit over as the the fighting champion, um, and he's not just content with the world title, but winning the tag titles as well. Um, poor Edge. I mean, here in 2004, I think Edge really needs a 27th reign with the tag team titles. Um, I forgot how much Benoit really used the sharpshooter as like a true, <laughs> true finish. Um, that was uh, pretty shocking to see. I think he was still using it pretty heavily, uh, heavily outside of Backlash, which was in Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went 2.5. Um, not not great, but it didn't take away from the card. I thought this was a very acceptable standard opener, um, and I like where we're going with Edge. I thought this was uh, some good. Plead, uh, good seed planting um, and also getting us going for the main event of the evening as well. Uh, I feel like Kane and Benoit could use a little more juice. Uh, and I thought this was a good way to get there. All right. Next up, we have Chris Jericho defeating Tyson Tomko in just under six minutes. Tomko, of course, is pretty much working as Christian and Trish Stratus' bodyguard. Christian was out with an injury right now, so he's aligned with Trish. 
Uh, Jericho's, you know, clearly been in this feud. You know, I never minded Tomko. I actually thought when you look at the history of like the muscle guys that are brought in uh, as bodyguards or um, as the heavies, he he was on the more talented side, both in the ring and and, uh, comedically with his timing. I always thought he had a little bit of potential. And this ends up being, you know, pretty solid. Jericho had his working boots on. He's really steering the ship on this. We get a little, uh, you know, nonsense with Trish and Tomko. They bang into each other, even though it's kind of soft looking. Uh, and then Jericho ends up hitting an enziguri to win the match. They kept it short. I think they kept it tight. Tomko, again, a little bit green. Uh, and Jericho, like I said, kind of steered him through. So, again, I went two and three quarters on this. Uh, maybe it's a little hot in the radar gun, but I, I thought it was fine. I like that Jericho really tried to take him by the hand and walk him through. And I like that they kept it tight. Plus, it furthers the Jericho Trish stuff where Jericho, you know, gets one over on her. No, uh, I'm right there with you. I think if you take a typical uh, big man versus, you know, medium size or little man match, a David and Goliath kind of story. Um, and, you know, if, if we do say, OK, standard is two and a half. But like, what is Chris Jericho's version of that match? And I thought that mm-hmm. was kind of it here. Um, a lot more fight. Um, and it didn't expose or overexpose Tomko. I thought the keeping it to, a, you know, a six minute match was perfect. Uh, it's probably all. Tomko really has uh, offensively. Uh, he didn't have to sell too much, didn't expose him too much. So I thought that was really good. Jericho isn't going to be hurt by having a short match either. And I like the little extra garnish on the plate with uh, Trish Stratus being out there. Um, just adds to Tomko's presentation. And I'm with you. We can mark this down as the uh, Tyson Tomko episode. Uh, I thought Tomko had real potential. He's got an awesome look. Uh, before mm-hmm. everybody on the whole roster is really tatted up with a beard. Like, he's got a really cool look. Uh, he's definitely intimidating. Uh, yeah, I love Tomko. I love this pairing, Christian. Um, and I'm sad that we missed the TV cage match that was Jericho versus Christian, because if my memory serves me right, I think that was really, really good. Um, and that's where but, Christian got hurt, right? Yeah. Or maybe so. he was hurt going in and they used that to write him off. But either way, he's gone yeah. for a bit now. Yeah, oh, which stinks because he had finally kind of gotten hot with this feud. <laughs> like it took him forever to kind of figure it out with the to get the haircut. Then they do the Canadian dollar bet and all that. And it leads to this. Um, and he was he was pretty hot right now. So the bad time and the injury for him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, two and three quarters for me. All right. Next, we have Shelton Benjamin taking on Randy Orton for the Intercontinental title. And this uh, I, I liked this match um, a decent amount. Of course, they've really been pushing Shelton. Uh, he had the big win over Triple H on Raw after the draft. He beat Ric Flair at Backlash. So he's kind of working his way through Evolution. He's kind of like the young dog hanging with Benoit and Edge and the other dudes that are trying to take out Evolution uh, and Sean. And he's kind of you know working alongside them as he finds his legs, works his way up the card. They give them 15 minutes, and it's cool because – you get to see Orton as a bit of the elder statesman now where he's kind of been the young guy, right, working uh, with the veterans. But here he feels like he's the one that's kind of leading the way through the match. Uh, we get a good um, T-bone suplex after the splash in the corner by Benjamin. I felt like that could have been it, but Flair makes a save. Benjamin gets an inside cradle for two uh, and then knocks out Flair. Benjamin jumps off the top of the cross body, but Orton rolls through and grabs a tights for the win. So kind of a, a tough loss for Shelton, but it felt like, it felt like a Pistons Bulls, you know, 1990 situation or, you know, uh, right before mm-hmm. like like Shelton's about to break out. He has the t- he gets right, right, right to the edge 
Uh, looks like he may do it, but he loses. But, you know, no shame. You know he'll be back. That's the kind of feeling I had here. Like, he's just not fully ready, but he's close. And I thought Benjamin, they've actually been pretty flawless with working him into uh, singles star role so far since the uh, cha- since the split in the draft. So I think they did a nice job with him. We, You know, we've talked a lot about Orton. He's great. He's on fire right now. Uh, he's getting himself quite over with the crowd, really, too. So I went three and a half on this. I liked it quite a bit. I actually ne- hadn't really remembered it until like, it popped up. And then I was like, oh, all this pop. Um, you know, it's really bag- uh, bags. Banks. So good. Yeah, I uh, another reason I'm sad we're missing some of the TV during this time. Uh, I would love to see a main pay-per-view match of like Benoit, Edge, and Benjamin versus pick any three from Evolution. I think that'd mm-hmm. go pretty hard. Um, I thought like maybe like ten minutes in, I was like, all right, like should they get going? But I mean, they they just turned it up. They were able to find that other gear and. They kept the crowd engaged and got them out of their seats and went home on a pretty old school finish. The classics never go out of style. Orton's the perfect guy to kind of use uh, a dirty trick like that that maybe he learned from the Nature Boy uh, to mm-hmm. retain the title. I do love seeing Orton. I know these guys are, are equals. Um, it's just that Benjamin's been working more tag team matches uh, in 2003. Um Whereas Orton has been working singles matches, he's been out injured, um, and is really now just really picking up steam. But yeah, Orton is kind of, uh, you know, you, I guess kind of the the 1A here. Um, I, I, great analogy. This is definitely like a Bulls-Piston situation. Uh, Benjamin was right on the brink of, of winning, mm-hmm. and the crowd really wanted it. Uh, but neither guy uh, loses anything here. Uh, Orton needing to cheat to get the advantage and get the win or Benjamin, um, you know, coming up short. I, I thought this was great. And I went three and a half as well. All right. We get women's title action. Next is Victoria takes on Trish Stratus, Gail, Kim and Lita. Victoria is a champion having won at WrestleMania, uh, not an elimination match. Just a first fall, pretty quick match. They actually go under five minutes. It's pretty fast paced though. And you look at the women's division, like these are four, you know, elite is hit or miss, right? But but mainly four pretty good workers compared to where we've been in the past. Uh, so this is actually a nice little mix of women that they could potentially get some mileage out of here going forward out of this division. Trish ends up winning. I think it was only a matter of time before they wanted to get the title on her since she was so over as a heel. It made sense. Victoria kind of been sputtering since Mania, and it was clear that they were starting to focus the division around Trish. And you can imagine the lead is going to be in the mix, too, because uh, it seems like they're ramping her up storyline-wise. So Trish ends up getting the roll-up on Lita to pick up the win. Again, short. Maybe you could have just done Trish Victoria, but I think they wanted to protect Victoria a little bit since they were taking the title off her fairly quickly. I went two and three quarters. I thought they worked hard for those five minutes. And it was kind of like the Tomko match. I appreciated that they didn't really slow anything down. I'd rather a five-minute match with no slow spots than like a nine-minute match that has, you know, rest holds splintered in if they're not worked aggressively or within the story, if they're just there to exist, you know? Yeah, I wanted more time for them to cook because I I think these four could – could give us nine mm-hmm. minutes that's action-packed without slowing down. Uh, but that said, the five minutes really made sure uh, that there was no room for any kind of uh, unnecessary slowing down process during the match. Um, you mentioned Lita kind of being the the, the iffy one of the group, but uh, these are four women who, who really do bring the goods. Uh, they've really raised the bar of the women's division during this time. 
Victoria has had a good reign as a face champion. I've enjoyed her work this season, as always. Um, cool to see Gail Kim pop up here. Uh, but yeah, Trish Stratus, uh, it felt like getting the title onto her was a necessity, just with her character development and this new gear that she's found as a heel. Um, and it instantly lifts the title up um, a step higher as well. And that's no disrespect to any of the other women in the match. Just Trish has really found her groove uh, going back to being a heel and, and this pairing with Christian that has really unlocked her potential. Uh, I went three. Uh, so not too much higher than you, but uh, I did really like what uh, they cooked on this night. All right. Our next match is uh, uh, okay. <laughs> the ongoing story of Eugene as he takes on the coach. He goes 738. Eugene gets the win. Like, at the time, I remember, like, kind of enjoying Eugene and being into it. Like, I thought his... Uh, the exuberance he brought to the role, like it was he, the mimicking of the moves, like it was, it was kind of not had been done really at that point, something like that. But I think the problem is there's only so much you can realistically do with this character uh, before he either starts to get absurd that he's like the way they play him up. And then he's like some savant in the ring. It's just not likely given the way they established the character or it gets extra mean spirited, right? Where heels mm-hmm. are really going, like you can only avoid the obvious for so long as a heel. So w- what is the end game with this? You know, I think we, I've talked about him on multiple podcasts that I think he should have been exposed eventually as a gimmick that he was working it for sympathy and turn him heel. <clears throat> they obviously don't go that route and they just keep him around in like a bushwhacker type role. Um, the other problem is Dick Dinsmore was well regarded as a worker, uh, you know, in Ohio Valley, et cetera. Right? You always heard a lot about it. And this gimmick really kind of limited him what he could do as well. So that that didn't help. Uh, coach is coach. I think you and I are both coach fans. But when you got Eugene working the gimmick, you got coach limited in the ring. Uh, Kate is out there. They're ripping up teddy bears. They're, I just it's kind of just kind of goofy. I ended up going two stars on it just because. Again, like the work is baseline, but definitely below average. And Eugene stuff's only going to get worse from here over the next couple of shows for us, the Raw shows coming up. And I kind of wish it was a wrapped suitor. And I know this is like extra soon because he just debuted after Mania. But to me, it was already starting to lose this luster a bit, especially when they try and start to tie him into like the main event stuff. Yeah, like credit to them, I guess, maybe for like doing something with a character and like having actual like storytelling and character growth. Um, the content of, of the character uh, then and now can definitely, mm-hmm. uh, you know, be, be in question, uh, you know, probably operating in bad faith uh, to say the least, but the work behind it, Nick Dinsmore, like he's done a fantastic job. Uh, I think maybe we talked about it last episode, but like, you know, just hearing the rumblings of him in OVW, it's like, Oh, this guy's going to kind of come up and be a, perennial intercontinental title mid-card type guy who can really bring up the quality of the middle of the card and you know he's he's doing that kind of just not not like around any titles just kind of operating in his own universe for now um you know unfortunately that's that's gonna it's gonna change uh we're gonna get too much and uh, that's really just how i felt about this like it's just too much like you know give me four minutes you know, okay, good. Like you hit all your beats, five, all right. But you know, getting into you know six, seven. Uh, now you're overstaying your welcome, and um, it's kind of just like anything the company 
tends to do. They find something good and, uh, you know, they have to squeeze all the juice out of it and just overplay their hand a little bit. So I end up going to uh, the work was fine and just overstayed its welcome a little bit. All right. Now it is time for our world title match, and that is Chris Benoit defending against Kane. I, this is one of those matches in my mind that always like kind of over delivered and and was well worked. I think it's on the short list of like good Kane in ring matches and our brawls or gimmick stuff. Uh, and it's it's kind of classic Benoit, right? Just kind of working through um, a simple big man little man formula. Again, it reminded me a lot of a Bret Hart style title defense where just there's no BS, we don't get any interference, really no nonsense. It's just a, a real map-based match, and he brings it out of Kane. It reminds me a little bit of like Brett and Razor Ramon at Rumble '93, that kind of big man, little mm. man, where the you know the champions, the little guy defending, and he survives the bully offense and eventually finds a way to get his finisher and actually pick up the uh, submission win. I mean, Kane. Oh, I'm sorry, it wasn't a submission. He, he glocks him with a cross face, but Kane fights out of it, and Benoit rolls through. So uh, close, but it works into it. So, but they give him 18 minutes. And Benoit retains and, you know, Benoit Kane was ever going to close the pay-per-view, especially given what the else they had on there. And that felt like a little bit of a ding to Benoit that they didn't, you know, want to put him in a position to close. But that said, like, he looks super strong here, beating Kane clean in 18 minutes. I thought this this was a nice solid title defense for him. I went three and a half, which I would argue absolutely over-delivered when he looked on, on paper coming in with that match. I don't I think you would have thought less. Yeah, over delivers a uh, big ask of Big Glenn here to go over like the 12 minute threshold. Um, I'm curious and seeing like what is what's the longest <laughs> Kane singles match. Um, I think this has to be up there. You know, he's usually a staple of, you know, multi-man matches and, you know, those can go longer. But uh, one on one, this is a big spot and they definitely deliver. Like you said, uh, glimpses of uh Brett versus Razor. Um, you know, I was I was thinking right along those lines, like Brett Razor, Brett Papashango. Like anytime Brett's working a, a bigger guy with some athleticism, that's what this reminded me of. Um, good good defense for for Benoit. I still wish I had a little bit more juice coming into it, but uh, that said, I went three and a half as well. Made event time, Marcus. As oh boy. Shawn Michaels faces Triple H in a grudge match, no titles on the line. Inside Hell in a Cell. It's our second straight bad blood with a Hell in a Cell. Triple H uh, versus Kevin Nash a year ago. And I think coming in, you would think this would be the better one of those two. Uh, <laughs> you would think. But I actually am a little bit of a low-key fan of the Nash one. I like that one. Uh, I thought you know Foley adds a lot to it. And this ends up being maybe a harbinger of things to come in future years. right? Like We hadn't gotten too many of these just yet at this time. But we look at now it seems inevitable that these two would have this type of match where they go not 25 minutes, not 30 minutes, not even 40 minutes, Marcus. <laughs> they go 47, 26. And I know that at this time, Duty had a hard on for this feud, right? Like Sean had mm-hmm. made his big return and <clears throat> they had a classic at SummerSlam. And then it's kind of diminishing returns from there. So they have the classic at SummerSlam. They have the chamber, which, you know, was really, really good. Maybe great. But Triple H was laying down with a broken throat for most of it. So, like, it wasn't really a Sean Triple H match, right? Uh, Armageddon 02. Eh. 
And then they take a break from each other. Uh, they have. To, when's that Raw San Antonio match? Oh, yeah. That's what we got to. So they take a break for all of 03. They don't really cross paths again. Until that fateful night in San Antonio. Okay. At the end of 2003. I think it's like like December like 29th or something. It's like literally like the last Raw of the year. And out of nowhere, they have this match. And it pops. It's just huge, right? It's like the crowd's right. going nuts. It's this awesome match. And while they ended up having a very memorable match that night, Marcus, uh, it was the worst thing that could have happened in <laughs> 2003 <laughs> WWE because it was like it, it like relit the spark of like, oh, shit, we got Triple H and Shawn Michaels. Now they've had three matches and two have been great. So let's do it. Like they're just going to churn out these classics and everyone's going to love them. So they fight at the Royal rumble and that's a fart bomb. The last man standing mm-hmm. is not. Yep. It's like, okay, well maybe it's just a gimmick and our hopes are too high after Rob, but, and then we get the two three ways and those are great, but Chris Benoit's in there. Right. <laughs> and it's a big moment at WrestleMania. So we decide that we're, this feud is not yet over and it deserves another main event level. And everyone wants to see them go an hour inside Hell in a Cell. It, again, it, to me, it all sums back to that fucking Raw match that was like great, but it relit like the spark of them to try and do this feud. And this was just boring. This is boring. Like it's it's too long. They're trying to tell the the, the classic story. It's slow. I, I just think they could have went, you know, eighteen minutes and just gone all out. Like, how long is that Summer Slam 2 match? That can't be more than 20, right? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll check real quick. But, yeah, I'm thinking it's right around 20. It's uh, oh, it's actually 27. Okay, and even okay. that is long. <laughs> Add 20 more to that. You know what I mean? Like, And that was best-case scenario for them. So, yeah, 47 just made no sense. There's definitely other ways that could have went about it. You have uh, you could have given more time to that opener with Benoit Edge. Only goes ten. Give the women another five, right? And there had to be other, or even give Warren Benjamin a couple more. Space it out and just shave off like ten to fifteen off of this thing, which is it did not need to be forty-seven minutes. Put Batista and Maven on the pay-per-view if you have to. Right, five, make, right. Make it a bonus match, right? Just oh, we got a yeah. bonus match tonight. There's other stuff to do than this. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it's it. I went two stars. <laughs> like I, I, I didn't know what to, I didn't know how to grade it. Like I've seen some people go as high as four. I've seen dud. Like I don't know. I never want to watch it again. I know that. I'd rather watch the Iron Man or WrestleMania 12 again than this. <laughs> um, and I've seen that way more times. But it's like one of the few matches I've dreaded watching for this project, and it reached those feelings. It's almost like that Raw in San Antonio was a mini version of uh, the Triple H return Raw in 2002, mm-hmm. where it's like, ah, one fateful night might change the course of history for Hogan getting that big pop in Montreal. Right. It's it's crazy. Just, um, you know, when they decide to listen to the audience, um, you know, like, oh, this 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 must be what they want. Um mm-hmm. I was trying to think of like just ways to make this better, rebook around it, and I keep coming back to like these two guys probably should have just had a segment here to like sign the contract for SummerSlam. 
for the Hell in a Cell. And, like, somehow write it where, like, Sean's going to take some time off to train. Triple H is going to, like, be training with Evolution. He's going to slip more into maybe a, a managerial role with them. Um, but, but at this time, with the brand-specific pay-per-views, they're too concerned with, like, selling this pay-per-view. I was looking forward to watching this because I was like, is it as bad as I remember? Um, is that my, is that my computer? <laughs> gets angry that we're even talking about this match. I, I don't mind that they put it here. I don't think we needed a segment. I just think the match structure, it's just too, it's just too ambitious. And like I said, like, you know, we talked about it. We did the NXT 1819, right? Like it's, it bleeds forward and this should have been the first red flag that like these two guys are, are going to be fans of telling stories like these epics, these forced epics. And it just did not connect here at all. We just, we just didn't need it. We just didn't need it to be this long. No. Um, I went uh, 1.75. I think that might be in line with some of my NXT grades. I'd have to go back and look. Um, I tried, <laughs> I tried to find a comp of like, right. what is, the work, right? Like the work is sound. I wouldn't say like any of their work is business exposing, but it's just um it's, it's too deep in the minutia. It's it's too self-gratifying. <laughs> um you know, again, like it 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 bumps Benoit out of the main event again with, mm-hmm. you know, a world title where they're trying to, you know, make a new star of the movie, so to speak. Uh and they can't because they're still hanging on to Triple H and Michael. So that's why I keep coming back to, like, these guys should have had a segment. Maybe they should have had a straight-up one-on-one match to get to Hell in a Cell. I know this is to, like, write Sean off for a little while because uh, Sean doesn't work Tuesdays and he doesn't work summers. Right. But I don't know. Like, money talks. Give him the summer off to, you know, train for the match uh, and then bring him back at SummerSlam. Uh, and and have a big match there. It's the nice two year anniversary of the of the return. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, star in three quarters for me. And uh, yeah, I'd prefer not to watch this one again. So what we do our grades is we take an average of our grade. So for that one, uh, say the average would be one point eight seven five. We round up, and then. We take that score and we either do plus minus from two and a half. If you think of two and a half being at a replacement level uh, grade, right? A m- average match grade, you go up or down from there. So if this average is out to a two, you go two and a half minus two, gives you a negative half. Do that for every match, add them up, and that nets out a total score of match grades for Bad Blood 04 to be a two. So that'll be the category we get to match grades, it gets a two. All right, let's get into our plus minuses, Marcus. Let's talk build. We gave this show a point for Kane attacking Benoit during the show to add heat. We talked about that, right? So it's a good way to add a little bit extra into this feud. We gave a point for Trish Stratus using Tomko to get revenge on Jericho using the table attack. We gave a point for Shelton working his way through evolution as he hunts for his first gold as a solo act. We gave a point to William Regal slowly being won over by Eugene. We gave a point to Kane being a quality cha- uh, challenger, laid out plan, good basic title match. Built as Kane broke the crossface during it uh, during the build up on Raw, so that's all the pluses. What did you have for minuses? 
Uh, for the minuses, we have uh, Shawn Michaels and Triple H in the never-ending feud that is taking over Raw. Uh, the tag titles being used uh, in an odd spot with Bischoff using them as uh, a tool for revenge, not really having a title feud. Uh, Bischoff calling Eugene embarrassing and using Coach and Kane to both bully him and try to take him out. No real build for the women's title match. Just a way to uh, get the title onto Trish real quick. And, uh, you know, poor Victoria definitely deserved a better end to her reign. Like you said, maybe that one-on-one match uh, would have been a more fitting end. And, and we know they have some killer chemistry together. Mm-hmm. All right, so that nets out to a uh, score of one for Bill. So plus one. Commentary. Uh, Jim Ross and the King summed up Benoit's and Bischoff's issues pretty well off the top. They do a good job telling the story of Edge's neck, so I give a point for that. They do a really good job pushing Orton and Shelton as a future all through that match, the athleticism, their youth. Uh, King gets a really funny line. He calls Hartford the city that never sleeps, so a point for that. <laughs> and then uh, Ross calling King Uncle Jerry to shut him up when he's doing his perving routine. So uh, those all get positive points. Yeah, well, Uncle Jerry is in full force tonight uh, to uh, <laughs> add some minuses here. Um, pervy Uncle King in the women's title match. King says, when I kiss a girl, all I want to taste is girl. That's just uh, gross. King finds his annoying point uh, to beat to the ground to talk about Kane being someone to feel bad for with his past. Uh, having having a tele- tele- telethon if he wins uh, and, and making him sympathetic. JR compares the cell to Satan perversely waiting on new victims. That was just a, an odd visual. Yeah, much, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if you think of the cartoonish uh, Hell in a Cell posters we would get of like 2011 with like the actual devil. Um, mm-hmm. JR and King selling Sean's impending death within the first 10 minutes of what is going to be a very long battle. Uh, JR and King overselling, overselling the Hell in a Cell as an instant classic uh, and meaning something to the legacy of these guys. Um, yeah, a little, uh, you know, performance over match result there. And, uh, hmm. Hmm. Is all I'll say to all that. Right. Tough night of commentary. Nets up to a negative one for JR and the King. Atmosphere. We gave a pop, a, pop, a point for the pop for good heat for O Canada with La Resistance. A point for the pop for Benoit both times. Just got uh, really big good crowd reactions. A point for Jericho's big pop, his exciting entrance. A point for Trish Stratus's entrance, just really owning this heel character, looking very. Uh, very good. Uh, point for Orton and uh, the crowd reaction to him. They're really locked in on him. He's kind of reaching his peak during this run. Good point for a coach wearing the Michigan gear in Columbus. That was really good heat. A point for the crowd being into the Eugene's uh, circus and imitation offense. They were really digging it. Uh, a point for the entrances of Triple H and Sean. I actually thought the entrances were good. They were intense. The cell lowers down. You kind of felt like it was a big time match coming in for sure. And, we gave a point for the crowd hanging in through the entire Hell in a Cell. They did not uh, really ever, you know, bow out or quiet down. They were pretty in, given it was a 47, very slowly developing match. Yeah, fans were MVP of that match. Um, let's get to the minuses. We got the weird blood drop set and graphics. Um, just, yeah, odd, odd visual again with, with, with the blood. Um, mm-hmm. Feel bad if you're squeamish and pass out easily from that uh crowd not happy with the finish of the opener understandably so as it seemed like we were set for new tag team champions and uh shelton being presented as not being a strong enough face to overtake orton and flair all right so atmosphere you know really helped carry this and it's 
it's an important category for us. You know, all these categories are important. We weight them all, obviously, uh, equally. But atmosphere is one that really can make or break a show in its own rate, right? If you get a hot crowd, you get a cool set, you get intense entrances. Like, all that really adds to the sum of a pay-per-view. And that's what we're trying to look at on the show, right? We're not just here to rate the matches, even though it is the most chunk of time on these pay-per-views. We're really here to look at the uh, whole of the show versus just the parts. Uh, so that's a plus six for atmosphere. So that really helps carry this so far. Yeah. Um, I should I should have added that uh, the crowd is healing up a little bit on Shelton. Um, got cut off there at yes. the end, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right, notable moments and importance. We gave a point for Orton's in arena promo, building himself up. It came off like a confident star. Uh, a yeah. point for Orton's win. Gets him to a half year as IC champion. He's building his legacy, and he's winning horseman style as well. Uh, a point for Trish regaining the women's title. A point for Eugene and Regal with the big hug at the end, and they come together. So that kind of pays off where Regal's been forced to look after Eugene. He started to grow a soft spot for him and uh, moves on there. A point for Benoit beating Kane clean. He's channeling, again, Bret Hart versus the big man with a quality title defense. All right. And let's take a look at the minuses. Uh, Eugene here is Bischoff. Uh, a bad mouth in him in the back. Hardy and Lita awkwardly making out. Um, and just an awkwardly timed segment. And the bloated Hell in a Cell match. Um, yeah, we... Whew. <laughs> you want to see something cringy, go back and watch the uh, Matt Hardy and Lita segment. That was oh my God. very strange. Awkward, super awkward. All right, that nets out to a two for a notable moment, so kind of low there. Uh, we gave a two on the match grades like we talked about. Card structure, we gave a point for starting the show hot with Benoit Edge, a point for the flow with Shelton Orton helping, uh, happening organically. Kind of added some exciting vibes. You know, Orton does the promo and just kind of flows into the match. Uh, a point for the long workhorse IC title match. It's really been, again, a thing on Raw where they either have those tags, those six-mans, or those IC title matches at the bridge uh, as hour, goes, uh, hour one goes to hour two. They gave, really, these young studs uh, time to showcase themselves, and they get trusted with a lot of time. So that was a cool benefit of the card structure. Yeah, I definitely do want to talk about that card structure a little bit, but maybe we'll wait um, until uh, another show to talk about that, mm-hmm. those IC title matches. But the minuses for this show, uh, the world title not closing the show, Eugene and Coach getting a little bit too much time for a comedy match, and the main event going absolutely way too long. And um, again, it, it's it's too drawn out and, and tries to do too much, which ends up serving no purpose whatsoever. All right, so uh, that nets out to a zero on that, so no points. Rewatchability uh, for those new, this really focuses more on like things that aren't captured elsewhere, right? So it's not really matches that are rewatchable. It's more kind of maybe moments that get lost in there uh, that are just fun, fun stuff that we'd go back and just rewatch quick if we could. Uh, so we give a point to Gail slapping the shit out of Trish and then takes an ugly DDT from Lita. It was a really cool, uh, t- you know, double shot there from her. And then just a huge night for Orin. Like that's re- worth rewatching. Like mm-hmm. the promo, the finish of that match, the crowd reaction. It feels like a star is being born like on this night in Hartford. Yeah, um, you know, I'm I'm a huge huge Orton fan, so this was really cool to to watch on this night, just see him blossoming uh, as a performer. Uh, and our only minus for the rewatchability is uh, kind of did a catch all here, but all the segments involving like Eugene and Bischoff, um, yeah, just yeah, too too much of that on this night. 
All right, so that's a plus one. Uh, no all-time matches, neither good or bad. So that's that. So that nets out to a score of 11 for Bad Blood 04. <clears throat> uh, I guess it seems right. I mean, we'll go over our total match, our final pay-per-view standings later. But if you look at the top, like, you know, we're up in the mid mid to high 20s, the bottoms and the negatives. So this is really in the middle you know, after these two, we would have done about 45 shows, I think, or you know, somewhere in there. Um, and this would be like 30-ish, 29, 30, somewhere in there. So, um, you know, back third, I guess. I, I think that would sound right coming in. Yeah, what's that, the the beginning of the back third? Um, yeah. Yeah, it feels feels right. Um, you know, I, I think had that main event actually come through, uh, you know, this event really gets boosted up, mm-hmm. um, looking at, at some of its contemporaries, but yeah, nothing really, nothing really cracked the, you know, f- I don't think anything cracked four for us on this night. So, uh, right. yeah. Yeah. So, it was all kind of, anything was really, n- nothing was too bad. You know what I mean? Like when you look at our match grades again. Out even Eugene Coach and even the main event, which we were pretty down on, wasn't like dud territory. So, right, you can argue everything was between two and three and a half. So it's nothing was great, but nothing was trash. And I think that that shows that nets out to the, about that eleven, um, which is just yeah, right around the middle. It, well, low, low middle, I guess. So, <clears throat> uh, all right, you know what's not in the low middle? You know what's great is the North South Connection Mark. Has anything you've been digging lately? Uh, as always, I'm really digging New Gen on a Mission. Uh, that is uh, tapping right into my earliest memories of wrestling when I was, uh, you know, super getting invested just as a, a little little one. So um, not too long ago, they did SummerSlam 93, and uh, it was really cool to go back and listen to that. I feel like that's a show that doesn't get covered too much. Um, and, of course, big night for my boy, the Hitman. Uh, so yeah, great listening to that. I'm absolutely in love with Aaron's new project, The Wrestler That Was. Um, you know, just a, an hour, hour and a half deep dive on retired or, or yeah, I guess retired um, WWE superstars. Uh, really loving that project and and just seeing Aaron, uh, you know, change his mind, maybe come around on some people. Uh, so that's really cool for me. Uh, especially the episodes about Big Daddy Dave Batista and, and uh, Diesel, two of my boys. Uh, but yeah, those are those are two of my favorite shows. I'd like to give a shout out to on the North South Connection. All right, yeah, we do have content coming at you every day that we're all super proud of. Uh, the hosts, the time they put in, the prep work they do, without missing a beat, covering the gamut of pro wrestling and beyond. So be sure to subscribe. Uh, leave us some feedback, rate us on any podcatcher apps as well, and share us with some friends. If you enjoyed this show, there's plenty of other ones on this feed in this network uh, that are very similar when you factor in the wrestling and the nerd stuff. <laughs> it's, it's up there. So, <laughs> Yeah, plenty All of right. that. Why don't we dive into Great American Bash 2004. It's our first Great American Bash pay-per-view in WWE. Yeah. Um, this happened uh, very close to my hometown at the time. This is uh, Norfolk, Virginia. 
the time I was living probably like 25, 30 minutes away. Uh, but it's all one big giant metropolis, very connected. Um, but I was not there at this night. Um, this is a show that I missed because my good friend, longtime close personal friend at Not the Tool Man, Tim Taylor, who you can hear here on the North South with me doing on uh, Viewer's Choice after every major WWE pay-per-view and AEW as well. Um, but he was out on a, a, a trip out of the country. So uh, he was my set of wheels at the time because I was unable to, I was uh, like 14 or so. Um, he was a little bit older than me. So he was driving, had his license, all that good stuff. So if he couldn't make it, um, you know, I kind of lost my, <laughs> lost my wheels to get to the show. But uh, yeah, uh, very sad considering, you know, we kind of get a, at least a big moment on the show. Uh, right. bummed and you don't get a ton of pay-per-views at the at the scope. No, um, no. So they had just, I think in 2002, that was the first time they'd been back to the scope since like the 80s. Um, right. So, yeah. And, and I think the Hampton Coliseum, which is where Raw was when the DX Jeep slash tank invasion angle happened with mm-hmm. Nitro in April of 98. I mean, that was their first time back in Hampton. Um, I think in like something like 10 years as well. So it was very much a WCW NWA town. And even to this day, when I go back to visit, um, people still talk about going to the, to the scope to go see Dusty and, and Ric Flair and, you know, all the NWA stalwarts. So it's still very much a NWA town. And a fitting, uh, place to host Great American Bash, right? Absolutely. I mean, this, uh, right. Classic. So they're bringing this one back from the WCW days. June 27, 2004, 6,500 in attendance, not including Marcus. It is a SmackDown <laughs> pay-per-view, so we got Michael Cole and Taz on the call for the entire evening uh, here, which is a good thing, of course, during this stretch. Our dark match saw Spike Dudley defeat Jamie Noble. And then we get to our opener as our U.S. champion, John Cena, defends in a four-way against Booker T, Renee Dupree, and Rob Van Dam. I've always been a fan of, of this match. Uh, I think it's a cool mix of talent. You know, Booker needed the move over to SmackDown, and since then he's been working kind of the the big man angle, right, where he's uh, too too big, uh, the big dog too big for SmackDown because they came up from Raw. Feels like he doesn't belong there. He's too big of a star. RVD just kind of been trolling around uh, on Raw as well. He comes over in the draft. So they put him in the mix, and then Dupree, after the La Res split in the draft, uh, really starting to be pushed in a solo role as well. We saw him uh, face off with Cena at Judgment Day. We both liked that match, and I think they continued mm-hmm. the trend here. Like, this is really good. It's elimination. So Cena eliminates RVD first. He's the first man out. Uh, but I thought he showed some good shine throughout. Uh, he then eliminates uh, or I'm sorry, actually, Booker T gets eliminated uh, or eliminates Rene Dupree. And that leaves us with Booker and John Cena, which you kind of would expect is the direction they go. And Cena ends up winning the FU in just under 16 minutes, eliminating Booker to retain. Uh, I went three and a quarter on this match, Marcus. I think it's a really fun opener. I think it shows uh, the the increased depth on SmackDown in this division. I think it gave Cena a really good win to continue to establish him as a star. And you kind of start to soft transition to a Cena Booker feud, which we're going to go to next. And Booker kind of can come out of this and say, you know, whatever, it's four guys. Yes, Cena beat him, but he can still have a claim to wanting a one-on-one match with Cena. So I think it sets him up well for the future of the U.S. division here. Yeah, I think you can take a look at this and think like, oh, they booked themselves into a corner um, with the with the elimination stipulation as opposed to just going with a, a fatal four-way. 
but I think it shows the depth to the division, um, shows the depth to the roster, kind of sets the table a little bit. Um, Van Dam got to run hot very early on, um, and I thought the way he was eliminated uh, made him look pretty good. It's always tricky, I think, getting rid of Van Dam in a multi-person match because I, you know, I might be biased because he's one of my favorites during this time, but always felt like the fans were most heavily invested in in him, um, just because he never really got the nod. Um, so anytime I think you get rid of Van Dam early, you risk taking the audience out of it. But I, I think they kept him kept him hanging. Um, you know, they're super into Cena as well. Um, you do kind of eliminate that possible split of like splitting the audience between Van Dam and Cena. Uh, so, so it does make sense to get rid of Van Dam early. Uh, Dupree absolutely brought it with Cena uh, in that match that we love back at judgment day. Um, and yeah, I, I like setting up the uh, soft transition to Cena and Booker. Uh, I went three with this thought they uh, really did a good job and it, w- it was a nice display, I think, of, you know, just solid booking inside the match and what looked like what could have been a disaster. Mm-hmm. All right. Up next, we have, uh, I guess, an added match, and that is Luther Reigns with Kurt Angle taking on Charlie Haas with Jackie Gata. Luther wins in just under seven minutes. This was made backstage. John uh, Kurt Angle is still in the wheelchair as our uh, <laughs> GM. We get a little segment with Jackie uh, kind of flirts with Cena. Kurt comes in and he just goes off on Haas about how far he's fallen, how he used to be <laughs> Angle's protege, and now he's sitting there basically being cucked by John Cena, hitting on his girl. Uh, so he tells him, get to the ring, you're facing Luther Reigns. Uh, apparently, I, I think the match was advertised maybe earlier in the day, but they kind of play it off like it's uh, it wasn't. Uh, and again, it was fine. Um, you know, Luther's fairly uh, limited in the ring. I think the highlight to me with him was always saying his name. <laughs> and they go seven minutes. I thought it was pretty boring. It, it Haas feels like one of those guys that just, they have the split. They get behind Shelton. And from here on out, Haas feels completely, until they reunite, <laughs> just completely lost uh, at all times. And it sucks. He does get into things, but none of them ever really resonate. So I went one and three quarters. I found this to be pretty boring. I know what they were going for, but the problem is we get a couple more of those here tonight. And it mm. makes us not feel like a pay-per-view. It makes it feel like a TV special when you start to get multiple squash matches to get over new heel talent. Right. Or a clash. I mean, it, it invoked like an old clash feeling where you get a few big matches and then you get a few like squashes to get new people over. Yeah, it's going to be a trend uh, on the on this night. Uh, we definitely picked up on it. <sighs> I mean, you want to see a character assassination in, you know, 10 minutes or so. Uh, This is it. Uh, Poor Charlie Haas. He gets um, (laughs) getting chewed out by uh, Kurt Angle in the wheelchair and Cena giving Jackie his room number right in front of him. And just like what? They clearly have no respect for this guy. I don't know if this is a a rib on him or what, but... um, why would you do this to somebody? Um, I'm a big fan of Charlie Haas during this time. Like, I thought he was really good technically. I thought he could, like, keep a pretty good tempo in the ring. He could slow it down. He could bring it up. Put in a solid look. Like, you know, I had no problem with Charlie Haas, but um, it feels a little early to be using him as kind of a, you know, enhancement guy, a jobber to the stars, if you will. 
uh, to try to get over Luther Reigns, Cole. So uh, I went with two. Uh, I did see Charlie Haas like really guiding Luther Reigns in some spots that really could have went off the rails with a lesser worker in there. But uh, Haas was able to cover some things up and call some audibles and um, audibles that didn't just cover up mistakes in the match from happening, mm-hmm. but they happened to like make Luther Reigns look like a, a monster. Um, so very giving a Charlie Haas. And, uh, for that reason, I bumped it up to it too. All right. Next is our cruiserweight title match as Rey Mysterio takes on Chavo Guerrero, who's challenging this match. Marcus always held, uh, quite the reputation. I remember at the time it was really held up as, you know, one of the best cruiserweight matches of the era, uh, uh of the best match of the show, carried the show, stood out. And it's one of those ones that every time I watched it, I feel like it's not reached those levels for me. Like, I feel like at the time in 2004, I might have been four stars plus on this. But looking back, I do feel like it's, I don't know, it's just like a little bit slow at times. Again, it felt like it was, the flow was just off. Um, I get why you could watch this and feel like it's great. But to me, it was just missing like some of that connective tissue. That really would bring it together. Um, I like the finish where Ray counters the glory bomb to the Sunset Flip Powerbomb. Uh, and it was a really, really, really good match. And that's from an anti-Chavo guy. But I, I did like Chavo still at this point. But um, So I went three and a half. I, I think low to some people that may not have rewatched it and just kind of remember it. But I think if you watch you can see it's definitely missing some bits and pieces that make it get over the top. I think at the time we were just kind of starved for something and didn't have too many opportunities or matches like this. So I think at the time we probably overrated it because it, it felt different and new. Yeah, we're pretty far removed from like the Billy Kidman, Jamie Noble era uh, on SmackDown early on uh, in 2002, 2003. Uh, so I think we were pretty thirsty just for like some glimpse of actual cruiserweight style wrestling. Uh even during this time, if I have to have Chavo, I'd prefer him to be in a tag team. But uh, we do get Chavo Classic um, during this run. So <laughs> that's a highlight for me. Uh, I went with three. Uh, these guys brought it. Um, you know, it's it's probably just one of those matches, like, more time goes on, it'll probably, you know, dip a little bit. But... It's really solid work. Um, it does stand out for the time. And I thought Taz, as we'll get to uh, when we do our category breakdown, uh, Taz really added a lot to this match. Um, just talking about like the strategy, Chavo's strategy specifically, I thought um, Taz really did a lot to make this feel different from any other match on the card. Okay. Up next after that, we have another match like we just talked about, kind of a heel showcase. Kenzo Suzuki defeating Billy Gunn in eight minutes. Kenzo originally uh, dubbed Hirohito, if you remember, on Raw. Then uh, they kind of pulled that back. I think they caught a lot of flack for using the same name as Emperor Hirohito. Uh, So they rebranded as Kenzo Suzuki. Comes out with uh, Hiroko and moved over to SmackDown. just no heat at this point. And I come to, I think Suzuki grows into the role once he embraces a little bit of kind of goofiness. And I think he does eventually get over a bit, but here uh, is not that time. This is just very straightforward, kind of bland heel stuff. Gun is 
just not here to play ball either. Um, like it's just <laughs> does not feel like he's super interested in putting over Suzuki. Uh, we end up, you know, getting the finish where it's a reverse DDT. Uh, I don't know. It, it, it felt so slow and, and long. Um, I went uh, like two and a quarter, I guess. Like, I don't, I don't know. It was just fine. Like It's like some of the stuff we already talked about. Like, it's fine, but just, God, some of the stuff is just so boring and slow. And like, Gunn wasn't going to win this match. Kudos to them for using him to put, put over Suzuki, right? Like, that's cool and all. But again, this this felt more like something for a TV show, not for pay-per-view. Um, for as much of a Billy Gunn apologist as I am, you know, it's time for Billy Gunn to be on the uh, the other end of, of helping to get some talent over. Um, I'm always here for a good Billy Gunn heat up, but uh, that time is not now. I'm just trying to think, like, would it have been better if you would have done, like, Billy Gunn versus Luther Reigns and have Haas here working with Suzuki? But I just think any way you mix it up, um, you still get the same results. Uh, I went two and a quarter as well because while Billy Gunn, I wouldn't say he has boo-boo face, but, um, you know, he's – yeah, I, I don't know. He's he's not fully playing ball. Um it's still a pretty good match. It's it's still pretty solid. It's it's two pretty big dudes still, you know, moving a bit. Um, it's definitely not like super clunky, I don't think, but um, a dip below baseline, a dip below average, and I think that's because like the fans just really aren't into it, and neither <laughs> neither is Billy Gunn. So, um, and I think we're we're zero for two on you know, new upstart talent coming in and, and, you know, making themselves famous, maximizing their minutes as uh, Jim right. Ross would say. That's one of the biggest issues. They're not really taking advantage of these showcases. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also this would be Billy Gunn's last pay-per-view until Aww. what? 2014 or whatever, when they have that little comeback <laughs> run. Although we've come to the end of the road. Also to the road is a uh, Sable's final pay-per-view. Appearance oh, as she takes on Tori Wilson. Uh, here on the Great American Bash, she actually beats Tori by pinfall in her final match, six minutes. I, I mean, it's it's what you'd expect, right? The finish is a botch too. Tori's shoulders aren't even down during the roll yeah. up. The ref just misses it. It's just again boring. This run is just a rough stretch of matches here. I mean, you get the Ray Chavo stuff, but we get another slop coming up after this. So we just got like these three matches that just drag down the card in the middle of the show. I went one. Uh, I went one and three quarters whatever yeah nobody's asking for sable and tori wilson to go out there and wrestle for six minutes it's not to either of their strong suits at this time and i think if you put tori in there with like a you know uh decent worker i think tori can can approach uh baseline approach our uh our, our average but you know, th- this wasn't it, and well, like, like you said, Tori's finish, uh, Tori's shoulders, excuse me, are <laughs> way up off the mat, and the refs just counting through to get to the finish and get this match out of the ring. Sable, low key legend, going out on top. Uh, love that for her, but I went with a, a 1.75 as well. All right, so the fun rolls on. We get another heel showcase match as Mordecai takes on Hardcore Holly. Um, you know, Mordecai meant to be a, a, a religious zealot, right? We talked about him at Judgment Day, so it's still kind of a similar deal going on here. 
He has the uh, all white on. It felt like they were positioning him to potentially be a heel challenger for The Undertaker down the line. Holly, like Billy Gunn, isn't super interested in working hard to get this guy over. He ends up defeating him at seven minutes with basically like a razor's edge. Again, just super boring. The crowd is not into it. It's just... Can you blame them? Like You can come into the show, you get that one Cruiserweight match and everything else in the opener. Everything else has been just like heel showcase, city, squash, shitty. This is a pay-per-view event you're likely paying a bit of a premium price for. You're ordering it on, on pay-per-view. And you're just not getting a lot to dig your teeth into here in the middle of the card. So I went one and a half on this. Uh, I thought it stunk. I, I thought it exposed Mordecai. And to your point, Marcus, they made a really good point. You know, neither Reigns, nor Mordecai, nor Suzuki have really set themselves apart here tonight, despite all the time they're being given. Yeah, uh, one and a half for me. I don't know, like, again, like Hardcore Holly's right up there with Billy Gunn. Like, these guys probably should have just stuck in a tag team and, and just let them uh, exist in a tag role for a while. But, um, yeah, I don't I don't understand why, you know, Mordecai, like, of all people, I think he should be the guy who's, like, grabbing the brass ring, so to speak. Like, he's got the gimmick. He's got the entrance. Um, you know, they put a little bit of effort into his uh, presentation but he uh, he just doesn't have the presence really to to pull this off yet. Um, you know, gonna see him pop up in ECW in a couple years, but right now um, he just doesn't have the presence to pull off the the slow methodical character. You know, um, doesn't you know? Looks like he might be pretty athletic, but like this gimmick, this this character doesn't really lend itself to that. Um, he doesn't really get a chance to to be explosive. He hasn't figured out the pacing yet. Um, and, you know, it's just a, it's just a tougher time if he had six or nine months really to, to work out this character doing an enhancement matches like Undertaker had, um, you know, then maybe we'd be talking about something different, but different time uh, calls for different production and he's just not not having the output yet so one and a half for me and over three on the night with uh people grabbing the brass ring next up is our duty championship match as jbl gets his rematch with eddie guerrero after the bloodbath at judgment day this is a texas bull rope match i feel like this is kind of the forgotten one I, i always you know recall the bloodbath um and the chair shots at judgment day and often forget about this bull robe match, uh, thinking it was kind of a foregone conclusion situation. Um, meaning at the time was just, you know, kind of there to exist to get JBL over. Uh, I, I think, again, at the time, this was an upset when JBL won the world title. He had not really had much of a buildup. He was still being looked at as one half of the APA. Uh, this really came out of nowhere. I don't think anyone expected Eddie's reign to be cut this short. Of course, the story goes is that he was stressing under the pressure kind of asked out basically because he was putting way too much stress on himself to deliver uh, ratings and deliver performance on top of SmackDown as champion. So they roll the dice to go JBL. They go. uh, Just under 20 minutes at 19 minutes, JBL ends up winning. They have the big goofy lights on the, uh, on the turnbuckles, of course Mm -hmm. Um, you get Kurt angle, you know, comes out and kind of gets involved as well toward the end. Uh, and, um, we even get a little bit of a dusty finish too, where of course get the usual where Eddie, uh, you know, is, um, JBL's touching Eddie's touching all three Eddie dodges, uh, dives at JBL, uh, hits the buckle. But of course, Bradshaw backed into the turnbuckle as well. We get Eddie's music 
And then that's when Angle announces, no, Bradshaw actually hit the buckle first. So he is our new champion. I like this match. I think it holds up. I had it just a slight step behind the match at Judgment Day. So I went four. It definitely carries a show to me. Um, and again, a pretty big upset at the time when JBL won the title. Yeah, this is the reason why I'm still salty that I missed a show, the chance to see a WWE title change um, in, in your hometown market. Uh, it's not something we got often at all. So, um, yeah, shocker to see JBL come out on top. Um, I went with f- a score of four for this match, uh, just right on the cusp of having a, an all-timer. Uh, just didn't quite reach that level. I do think the presentation with the the goofy lights, you know, who who's red, who's green. Um, I guess it's up to the referee's discretion for, you know, how long the lights stay stay on. When do they shut off? I wish this was just like straight up pin or submission. I get not try not trying to to pin Eddie, but um, I don't know if you're, maybe it's just me being old school, but. You know, if you're going to you're going to crown a new champion and you're going to have him go on the run that will track this season, um, you know, why not put him over clean? And you can still do a dusty finish where, you know, maybe he's got his foot on the rope and, oh, that doesn't count. And, you know, no DQ match. But Kurt Angle says it does. And you, know, you restart the match from there. But, you know, there's plenty of minds there to figure out that kind of finish. Um, but that said, Pretty big moment here, and uh, we get it the end of the Eddie Guerrero run, and we start the maybe reign of terror of uh, of JBL uh, on SmackDown. <laughs> we'll be tracking it. Yeah. We'll be uh, with them to the end here of this reign. So, all right, our main event uh, is a concrete crypt match featuring the Undertaker oh, versus Dudley Boys. Of course, Paul Heyman had been, uh, I guess, blackmailing the Undertaker to do the right thing, to work on his behalf, to be part of his group, which is, includes the Dudley boys. And uh, the Dudley boys are tag team champions here. And basically he admits he what has like a secret or whatever, another, another Artaker secret, um, if he doesn't go with what he you know wants to do. And uh, then they also lock Paul Bearer in this crypt uh, that's going to fill concrete. And Heyman says, if Undertaker doesn't do the right thing, which no one else knows, it's him and Heyman in this match, they're going to murder Paul Bearer and bury him in concrete. Um, so, of course, they want him to, the Dudleys want Undertaker to lay down for him. The match is just full on bullshit. It's just like a play of nonsense it's mixing in very basic offense here and there with Heyman running his mouth at ringside. We get, you know, concrete being poured on an obvious dub of Paul Bearer with this ridiculous camera shot at the end of the match Undertaker wins clean, hits the tombstone on Devon. And then uh, he stalks Heyman who loses control of the concrete crypt. And so it looks like maybe we're not going to get the payoff because Taker didn't do the right thing. And Paul Bearer is still alive. But then Bearer, uh, Undertaker grabs a microphone and says, Paul, I have no other choice. Rest in peace. And murders him <laughs> uh, by burying him in cement. Uh, and they would go on to explain that Undertaker did this because he felt Paul Bearer was a weakness to him uh, by existing, basically. So uh, he decided to kill him instead. They do reveal, I think, on SmackDown the next week he wasn't he didn't die that they uh, was pulled out of the concrete before. But he's really badly injured as part of this. N- not not good at all. Any of this. I went 0.5 for the match. It's super boring. 
uh it's really lame it's 17 minutes and it's just it may be the worst thing paul Heyman's ever been involved in in pro wrestling on screen uh it's, it's really really bad and he's a big part of it um you know the dullies just working in this bland double team offense just it was a shit show this is two straight months with a just terrible main event margus yeah, the Dudleys are on fumes. Uh, they've done everything that they can possibly do as a tag team. I get trying to move them up to see if they can be main eventers or, or carry a main event adjacent story. Um, but you know, they just need to go away for a long time um, and, and come back fresher. Undertaker, whew, um, that special presentation that we saw at Judgment Day, uh, that has quickly worn off i think um you know i i don't exactly remember how much tv he did building up to this but that specialness that he had back at judgment day with booker t like that's gone um and i already feel like you know this version of undertaker is already kind of getting stale already um and you you have such a spectacle up there right like and that's all anybody's waiting for. So why are, I don't say why are we having a match, but you know, everybody's just waiting for the finish. Um, I, I went with a 0.75. Um, so that does make this a, uh, all time, all timer in the minus category for us. Uh, the, the, the quote unquote, uh, termination of Paul bear didn't really make sense. Um, uh, yeah, just I, I I don't get a lot of this. It's awful. Yeah, it's, it's bad. all time bad. All right, our match grade is net out to a negative one point two five, which Oof. is never a good thing. Um, to be that low, already going to the plus minus. So let's get to our build. Uh, we give a point for Angle trying to get that U.S. belt off Cena because he embarrassing SmackDown as champion. A uh, point for Booker T's slow build heel turn. Uh, a point for the great JBL promo backstage on the show. Talk about how prove his worth at this level. I thought it was almost speaking to those doubters out there. A uh, point for the good push of Suzuki. He's undefeated coming to the match. So they at least talk that up. Uh, a point for spending a lot of time enhancing the personal issues behind JBL and Eddie Guerrero during the match. And a point uh, to actually have, having a theme to the event. It was built up the military town, the uh, kind of the you know jingoistic feel of the U.S. theme around it. I thought that all the build into that felt good. Yeah, um, let's get into the minuses, though, for the build. Uh, we're going to give a minus to the slight build that we got with Charlie Haas and Loot the Reigns, uh, with the Haas just standing around in his gear um, unnaturally and being tossed into a last-minute match with Loot the Reigns. Uh, you know, we think that's lazy. Lazy build to Chavo and Ray, just tossing them back together and loosely, tie- uh, loosely tying together their past matchups. Matchups. Heyman uh, kidnapping and wanting to murder Paul Bearer on television to control The Undertaker is absurd and way over uh, overacted. Uh, and not even Paul Heyman, like you said, um, could save this fiasco, and he has a very high batting average. We went with a minus two with, uh, for that. Okay, then that's out to two points for the build. Commentary, uh, you know, we're big Taz and Cole fans, obviously, so a lot of points here. Uh, good job ch- selling the strategy of the four-way, so point for that. Uh, point for Taz singing during the French tickler, which always hits. Uh, good <laughs> stuff. 
you know, a point for Taz really hitting the horny commentary well. Like he makes it goofy, uh, and he it's almost like self um he's self-aware of it versus King who's just creepy. So we gave a point mm-hmm. for him doing that well. Uh, a point for uh putting over the different physical and mental attributes of everyone all night. We actually have two for that. They're so good at it, just breaking down the uh different uh positives and negatives of each worker. Uh, a point for Taz emphasizing risk versus certainty or Ray versus Chavo, taking the certain moves over the risky ones. A uh, point for Cole focusing um, on how the cruiserweight action is only on SmackDown. He really does a good job of getting that over. Uh, Cole for a uh, point for Cole busting on Taz for wearing fur as a Tasmaniac. That was really funny. A uh, point for Cole and JBL on point during the bull rope match as well. Insights threading the angle in. They were just really good all night. Yeah, uh, an- another good night for them. Uh, dip into the, the minuses. There were a few. Uh, Cole links uh, the Great American Bash to WCW Legacy as canon. Uh, first time in four years. Uh, it's truly just Great American Bash by name only. Uh, Taz keeps butchering, butchering Hiroko's name. Um, yeah, I kind of like to think of Taz being a little bit more progressive for this time. Um, so it feels like a, uh, a Brucey edict uh, in his ear. Uh, Cole keeps trying to push Billy Gunn as a big all-American guy. <laughs> uh, he loves to salute him. <laughs> Cole, Cole says the announce tables are like concrete when JBL throws Eddie on it. Uh, Cole and Taz not discussing the Undertaker should be jailed for attempted murder. God, that's such a big glaring part of this whole show uh, that that's just like allowed. Unless, I mean, because it's not like Paul Bear agreed to this as a stipulation. You know what I mean? Like they kidnapped <laughs> him and locked him in there. He's very unconsenting. Yes. There's a lot of this in 04. We'll talk about more in future shows on consenting actions by heels. Um, <clears throat> our atmosphere, you have a point for the good Americana vibe, the opening video, Tori and the Uncle Sam gear. A point for the red, white, and blue touches all of the arena. A point for the ominous cement truck, which adds a good presence, despite how goofy it is later. A point for the pop for Cena's entrance, his big moves, and a finish. A point for GM Cardano kind of leaning over the show. He's got such great charisma, adding to the whole vibe. Uh, a point for the crowd being red hot, carrying the back end of Ray and Chavo. Uh, a point for the great pop for Eddie, his big time entrance. And uh, I really liked the cowboy clanging the whole match, uh, the cowbell, I should say. So I give a point for that, too. Yeah. Like, it was just a cool vibe that added to the atmosphere of everything. Yeah, hearing that bell adds, like, a, a, a sense of danger to the match. Like, okay, like, uh, you know, the, if, even if this is, you know, quote unquote fake, uh, you know, that that's a real, <laughs> a real cowbell with, with edges and, uh, with some density to it, it could do some damage. Uh, let's get into the minuses. Uh, we have no reaction for Haas and Jackie. Really hard to blame, blame the crowd as uh, Charlie Haas is having a complete zero of a night. Silence for Suzuki and the crowd being completely silent for Holly versus Mordecai. All right, so that is uh, five for notable moments, and uh, I meant to mention four for commentary. So two big categories right there, carrying things for sure. All right, notable moments. We gave a point for the classic Cena rap where it goes through each opponent. It has a pretty good, funny uh, Navy seaman joke for Dupree. That was good. <laughs> a point for Cena establishes a clear top dog as the upper mid card as well. A point for the hot tub segments with Sable and Tori. Those are pretty good. A uh, point for Angle berating Haas for being a fuck up in the waist. <laughs> uh, it was so good. A uh, point for Sable's final pay per view appearance and her legacy. A point for Gunn's final pay per view appearance and his 11 year run. A uh, point for Nunzio on his big feet flirting with Don Marie, Stamboli calling Duprius to nod. And a point for Angle messing with Eddie big time to continue their feud. Uh, did we get a little uh, Italian word of the week there? Uh, Stunad? Yeah, we, we could. 
All right. Um, Want to hear it? Yeah, yeah. All right. Stunad. Slang for a stupid or crazy person. As in... Triple H and Shawn Michaels are stunads <laughs> trying to do that Iron Man match for 47 minutes. Uh, thank you for using it in a sentence. I feel uh, fully yeah. equipped now to use that liberally. Okay. Um, let's get into the minuses. We got the new talent failing to impress on pay-per-view. Uh, the unholy trinity for Charlie Haas, and that is uh, CBJ <laughs> being cucked by John Cena, being buried by Kurt Angle, and then doing the job to Luther Reigns. Uh, like we said, standing around his tights, uh, you know, with no quote unquote planned match, uh, just kind of a ridiculous look all oiled up, ready to go. Just in case JBL's big win feels a little bit weird because of the way the finish went with, uh, you know, the dusty finish and things being turned around uh, a little confusing and being dragged out a bit, uh, not necessarily a clean delivery there. Eddie's title reign comes to an early and sad end. Heyman constantly interrupting the match and ranting, uh, and then Paul Bearer being buried by Taker anyways. Uh, like we said, he should be in jail for attempted murder. So we went minus two there. And footage of Paul Bearer being buried aired over satellite that day. So it was known as a pre-tape and what happened. I remember that leaking on the internet. Um, they, mm-hmm. they showed like the footage of him. Someone tapped into the satellite or whatever and saw it come over the feed. So really goofy. Uh, it's only a one for notable moments. That's usually a big category for some shows. And this, so this is going to hurt to be that low. Negative 1.25 for matches. Card structure, uh, just a um, one plus or opening hot with Cena in a fast face four way, but nothing else. The rest of the card is a disaster. Yeah, let's get into it. Uh, a long run of aimless matches with uh, new low-level wrestlers and old stale veterans not over. Mm-hmm. You can feel the the shallow roster there. Uh, they're very heavy in the mid-card with that opener, but yes. uh, nobody really is stepping up to kind of replenish the, you know, you want to call it the bottom of the card. Uh, and loading for the top mid-card talents in the, upper, uh, in the opener uh, definitely hurt the show. Mm-hmm. Um. And uh, do we have more? Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, sorry. Um, too long for Sable and Tori. Uh, and definitely should have closed with Eddie and JBL with crowning a new champion uh, instead of the stupid cement nonsense. Agreed. Okay. Uh, so it's a negative three for card structure. Uh, rewatchability. We gave a point for Angle berating Haas. <laughs> I could watch that all day. And Stemboli <laughs> calling Dupree a student. It was really funny. Uh, so two points there. What do you have for any minuses? Uh, for the minus, we have Paul Bearer dies. Oh, yes. <laughs> so one there. We had one all-time bad match in The Undertaker versus the Dudleys. So negative one brings this total score to a 7.75. So pretty low overall. Uh, it's definitely down near the bottom. Uh, pretty much in the bottom 10 for us. Surrounding it are uh, King of the Ring 94, right below it, and tied with it is actually Survivor Series 94. Uh, so we have, uh, we kind of discussed finally off air what our tiebreaker would be because we're going to have more and more as we add shows. And we've decided that the show with the best match average, uh, you know, so the best match on the card, either card. So um, based on our average grade would be the one that would be ranked ahead. If the best match is a tie, then we'll give it to the one show with the best moment that we deemed it, like the most important moment. So uh, Survivor Series 94 had the best match, which was Bret Hart versus Bob Backlund. So we're going to put that ahead of Great American Bash 04. Uh, so I guess a couple of middling to back end shows tonight, Marcus. So 04 maybe struggling a bit here. 
Yeah, um, I thought it was an interesting note that uh, Great American Bash finished, you know, not too much higher than King of the Ring 94. And both Mm -hmm. of those are shows where, if I remember right, Vince is not backstage for those. Um, So I I don't know if you want to call it a cool little tie-in or a coincidence there, but... um, you know, I guess you could say his uh, his 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 lack of presence was definitely felt for these two events. Um, you know, kind of feel bad. We have no control over over the over the two events, but um, right. yeah, two two shows that felt very replacement level. Like I think you could probably just take away uh, Eddie losing the title to JBL. Um, and other than that, I think you have two events that, in the long scheme of things. Like history doesn't really change um, if you just wipe these two events off the the face of existence. So, um, a rough little stretch here uh, as we mm-hmm. head towards the SummerSlam. All right, you want to quickly do our top ten? Uh, yes. Okay. Uh, in tenth place is UK Championship Tournament 2018 Night One with 21.75. At nine, No Way Out 2000 with a 22.5. Uh, just above it, tied with it, but uh, moved ahead because it has a better match. Takeover Chicago 2 with 22.5. The SummerSlam 2011 with a 23. Fully Loaded 1999, 26.25. Uh, at number 5, we have NXT TakeOver War Games 2 with a 26.5. NXT TakeOver New York, 28.25. Royal Rumble 2000 with a 28.5. And Money in the Bank 2011 at second with 28.75. And the highly controversial The SummerSlam 1999 with a whopping 38.25. Definitely looking like more and more of an outlier. I think we got to look at like Rumble, Money in the Bank, TakeOver New York as our top shows and to see if anything even sips SummerSlam. Um, that seems like maybe just a crazy outlier right now and that the real top shows are more in the high 20s. But we'll see as we go through all right, so we'll be back in two weeks' time. We'll continue working through 2004, uh, and we'll see how things uh, continue to, you know, if they pick up or if they continue to, to slog a bit here in the middle of the year. Until then, be sure to live your life above replacement level. Bye.